Oh, yes. It's that time again. The Stedman History Podcast is back. God, it's been a while, hasn't it? I can't remember the last time that I did one of these. It's certainly been a while. How is everyone doing? How's everyone's end of 2021 Christmas time coming up? I just had a positive COVID test result. So you know what I thought I'd do? I'm going to be stuck in my house for a while. I thought, you know, I'll get some amazing, inspiring guests to speak, to be on the podcast. We can talk about our goals, our achievements, how we see life what we deal with, all of that amazing stuff. And we've got a fantastic episode coming up today. I spoke to Niall Phillips, the theatre director, actor. He is part of Lonesome Workshops. That's his company that he runs and Lonesome Schoolboy Productions. We chat about PMA. We chat about the hardcore scene, being straight edge, vegan. We talk about keeping like a positive mental attitude. And we talk about making theatre and how mental health talks and discussions are so vital and needed right now within the acting industry and it's it's so it's so inspiring i i I loved chatting to him and like i could feel the connection like through the screen of the of everything that we were talking about we talked about mental health and about picking each other up when people fall it's it's such a good conversation and so necessary and so needed and I, I really needed it at at the time that it was kind of happening um it was like my day day two of self-isolation and I was like I, I really I really need this and it's it's so good you're really going to enjoy enjoy the chat and if you want to hear more about Lonesome then you can go to Twitter and you can follow at Lonesome School B and also you can go to the website which is lonesomeworkshops.com and their vibe their their mentality everyone gets up and i mean that is that's it sounds like such an amazing safe space full of actors going working getting up trying things out not being afraid to fail everyone being supportive and working towards one goal and if you enjoy the podcast please tell your friends like subscribe listen to us and also check us out at Stedman History on Instagram and you can always listen to all of our previous episodes that I've done throughout the year some amazing guests speaking about theatre music film all of that great stuff hope you enjoy it let's go straight to the episode now it's almost like we are now live so everything everything now is is Don't say stupid things yeah everything now needs to be like gold <laughs> it's like yeah. a real kind of sort of pressure but um yeah, how I want to really want to kind of just dive into it and start with what got you into theatre. I think I remember. So I was in a secondary school in southeast London, and I was struggling really badly, like a lot of actors and storytellers, I suppose. I was struggling, and in year seven in secondary school, we didn't do drama. We did everything. We didn't. We didn't do it. Okay. I was, I was going from English to maths to science to geography and just and messing about and failing and being an idiot. Because I never, I, ne- I felt out of my depth. I felt stupid. I felt all these things. And as a kid of eleven, you're like, "What am I doing? This, this all doesn't fit." And then year eight, we started doing drama. And after the first lesson, my teacher, Miss McCardu, who I'll never forget, pulled me aside and she just went to me, "This is for you. This is it." And I remember thinking, "What? 
like that's but she was like the fact that you're so silly and animated and doing different characters and that this is it this is your thing that you found it and I remember just thinking wow went home told my mom and she was like let's just let's because I think my mom knew that I was a this like mad little kid that didn't didn't have anything that he was good at and then took me to the theater went to the, the there was a, a young people's theater called the unicorn in town which has now moved to Suffolk and yeah. I went there and then and then felt felt that feeling of like oh my god there's a live audience and we're all laughing and they're telling stories and that made me feel like a human even at 12 years of age and just from there like going to see shows or going to like youth clubs or drama clubs and it just it fitted it was like it was literally like that's it nothing else I want to do in my life apart from tell stories and be with people that love or enjoy being a human being and that was it and then it, like the m most bizarre thing is that I'm now 36. I don't imagine I'll ever do anything else. I can't sit in an office and type and send emails for Bob or Bill. I can't do that. I've got to be in a massive room running about wearing tracksuit bottoms and telling the story about love or about hate or about whatever it is. And that's it. I think it's, I think it's bizarre how it just it clicked into place in that moment of my teacher saying, that's it. That's you, mate. That's your you, you weird little goblin, man. That's what your vibe is. Do that. And that was it. So it's like it's beautiful because I found it. I found my like calling as it was. And it's, it's, I don't think it'll ever go, which is, which is pretty sick. Yeah, that is, that's, that is amazing. Just in that moment to be like, this is your thing. This is, and, and to really go with that as well, to, to follow that path as well, to sort of for you to understand as well, that that is your thing and to keep it going as well. And, and see, so you mentioned about like youth theatre, where did you go? Did you go to any sort of youth theatre things? Um, I can't remember what it was called now, but it was like next to this, it was in an alleyway in a place called Wellin, which is like, I don't recommend anyone ever goes there. And we used to go every Tuesday night for like three hours and we did these Christmas plays. And again, it was like, I was given like lead parts because I did like silly voices and little characters. And we did Murder at Mornington Manor, whatever it was called. And that was just like that space where you can go and just feel free with this person that leads the workshops and they run about and they make you feel really good. And you do a character and do some improvisation, do some text work. I remember just being like, that was, that was the highlight of my week. And we did drama once a week at school. And then when I was like 15, I started taking it more seriously. I went to a Tally Conti Saturday school in Blackheath or somewhere. And then I met all the team there at Tally Conti. And then one of the women said, I mean, she's though the agency are interested in like meeting new actors. Do you want to go and meet the agency? And I, so I met the agency and I got signed with the agency as that, as, as that kid. Cause I had quite like a chubby cheeks, glasses, a weird little fringy thing, whatever. And they, they signed me and I got my first ever film at 15. And again, it like my whole life turned upside down because I was just like, oh, I'm doing this thing that no one else in my, my year and all my mates weren't doing. And at that age, you'll find out about girls and about love and about all that your body's changing. And I was kind of doing this thing that made me really happy. And it was weird that I, I, my mum's unreal and she was just like, go and do it. Like do whatever you want to do because I think she knew that nothing ever fitted, nothing else made sense. And me going to school and being naughty and being an idiot, basically, because I was just so unhappy in school and then finding something that made me really happy and made me like who I was. And she just said, go and do it. And like wh whatever we can do as, as, as like a, as a mum, I can just push you to, to help you do that. And then it all then, then you then you then you find yourself loving it more Then you go to drama school and then then it fits. And it's like it's the, it's the most beautiful thing ever. And that's why I think I work with young people now, same as you do when you go into Prue's or into like schools and you say, the kids like if you want to tell stories go and tell stories if you want to be an actor or a dancer or like go and do it and nobody ever stopped me no one ever said oh maybe you should get a job in like a bank or whatever no one ever said that 
because they saw it. I think it just it was in me to go and do that, and that was all I ever wanted to do. So yeah, it started from like some crappy youth club in in southeast London where the teachers was like, run about, have some fun, tell stories, and that was it. Was like beautiful. Yeah, that's that's true. I think that when people do see that that's what you're good at and that's what you want to do, that that they don't stop you, which I think is amazing as well, because sometimes people do talk about kind of coming up against like barriers and people stopping them or saying maybe this isn't for you. And but it's great to hear that that no one did that with you and that they kind of everyone was really supportive. What um so you went and did the the film and then what was the what was the film? What film did you did you do? It was it was Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stones. Is the first oh, wow. Harry Potter film. Uh, directed by Chris Columbus, you're like Home Alone, all those like films that we knew, whatever. So my stepdad would would get a train with me at like five o'clock in the morning to Italy Conti, then would drive to Leafston Studios and sit in these bunkers or these like buses and do learning because then we weren't on set or whatever. And I was there for like, I remember I met Maggie, I think it was Maggie Smith. And because I, I was obviously 15, it was my first ever film. And I was like, it was mad. Yeah. And I was going to like, Eileen Atkins, being like, are you famous or Maggie Smith? One of the two, I can't remember it was now. And I said, are you famous? And she went, unfortunately, yes. And then she just stormed off. Oh. I was on set for like six weeks, maybe, with like revolving staircases and Zoe Wanamaker and like Quidditch and all this stuff. And then, then it ended and I went back into school. And then, it, then you go back to the norm of it all and it's like a bit mad. And then we got offered, I got offered the second film. And then my mum was like, why would you do it? And at the time, we didn't know how big Harry Potter was going to be in the school. Like, it's GCSE year. Yeah. No stuff was going on with my dad. It was all a bit mad. So we said no to the second film because we didn't know. And you don't know that age that no. how big that's going to be. Like, that now sounds mad to turn down this film. And then, yeah, that was that was my first ever job. And it was like, I remember, I remember doing it and being around all these people and all these lights and cameras. And again, just being like, look at everyone in this room telling this incredible story about this wizard. And everyone just giving so much care and love and attention. And that's mad. That's a beautiful thing because you're like, this matters. These stories matter. This is going to go on. And again, when I told people at school I was doing the Harry Potter film, people were like, cool. And no one knew because it was the yeah. first ever one. And we didn't know how big or small it would be. And no one knew who Dan was. Daniel, or no one knew. So it's just like these small people. And there was like the odd famous person within it. But yeah, it was crazy. Yeah, that must be. Yeah, it sounds really magical as well. Just to, but I suppose yeah, at the time you don't know, do you, the size of it because the books were out, but it was also could have just been a small kind of film that just came out and then yeah, yeah, and then sort of disappeared. So you went, you then went back to school, and then you said about drama school. Did you go? Did you go to Italia Conti or? Uh, I went to the Saturday school there, and then um, I went to Manchester Metropolitan. It, this is this is Niall the idiot. I thought I'd got into the acting school. Man met like one of the best drama schools in the country, but I hadn't gone to u- the university in Alsager, which is in the middle of a farm doing drama. And then when I got there, I was like, this isn't like 36 hours a week doing plays and this. Went there for a year, got drunk for a year because I was like, I'm so unhappy. This isn't a drama school. Then auditioned to like la- all the big ones land and whatever. And I got into a few. And then I went to, went to Royal Birmingham Conservatoire. But back then it was called Birmingham School of Acting. And then had three years there, worked. And then I remember my teacher, one of my main teachers was, was a guy called David Van. And he said to me, you've got loads of blocks about you're, you're so scared. And I remember being like, of co- I am scared. Like this is, this is really nerve wracking. There's like 12 actors from all over the world in this really small room. And we're telling these really difficult, beautiful stories. And he said, there's two parts of that. You, you can go and you can break or you can, you can feel really safe and sit in these blocks that you've got. I need, he said, I need you to go there. 
And I used to feel really uncomfortable because it was hard. I think acting is hard. I work back this every day and it's like, acting is difficult, it's tough. It's a really difficult thing to do. And he said, everyone go home, everyone go home. It's just me and Niall. And he said, everyone's gone, now break, do the scene properly. And it was a, it was a speech from Neil by mouth about his dad dying and not being allowed to have food because if he was, it would, it would kill him. And I remember the feeling so safe and so connected and I, I snapped and I broke and I cried for about 20 minutes. And in the most beautiful, safe way ever, because David Van was incredible, he grabbed me and just held me for like 10 minutes because I was just, I was so upset and so connected to what I was doing. I wasn't in my head. I wasn't scared. I wasn't worried and just felt so truthful and connected to the text and the story and whatever. And when he moved away, like his shoulder was drenched in my tears. I remember thinking that's like, that's the support that I think actors need that, whether it's them being vulnerable or being funny and silly and needing whatever it is. And I felt so safe and so connected. And that's my process. I think since, since that day is just to support actors and allow them to fail and make mistakes and feel vulnerable. And I'll never forget that because it was the maddest thing ever. Like how much I learned in those, like, I don't know, that, that session alone was like off the chart. And I love drama school. I think, I, I know drama school's money. And I know that like, if you're from a single, for all those things, I, and I get all that stuff. And I think it's heartbreaking that the drama school's charged 30, whatever, is it like 40 grand? I got this actor into Lambda the other day and she was like, the cost is blah, blah. It was like 30 grand for a year. Yeah. And, I'm, and, I, and I get it. And I understand it. But it's like, then, then we look at our screens and our, our stages and we go oh look at the system we've got it's like all these rich white people telling these stories like what like how does that how are we going to change that system if we're only pushing the rich and, and I'm, I'm part of I, I was part of that because I, I was I got the opportunity to go but there's so many problems within that system I, like, again like we said the, the COVID thing I don't know what the solution is apart yeah. from make affordable opportunities for actors to come and play but it's hard. It's it's hard. But I was I was I was very lucky, and I'm very fortunate to to have those opportunities. But the same as all the actors that I work with now. Then you come back to London, you come back to this this hub of of the acting world, and you realise that it's be like beyond competitive, and, be, and and it's tough and it's hard. And I, and I don't necessarily know what the solution is apart from trying to back as many people as we can and and build them up and pick them up. So it's hard. But yeah, I, I was I was I was very and I'm aware of that lucky that lucky card I've been dealt in the sense that I, I got the chance to go to drama school. Yeah, it is difficult, isn't it? Because what is the what is the solution? Because, yeah, there's the sort of the luck of going to drama school and the time and the like being able to have those moments, like you said, like that beautiful moment. And but that requires sort of time, doesn't it? Because that's yeah. not something that can sort of just be sort of done in a short period of time. And it's then there's the money factor or it's quite good now that it feels like a lot of drama schools aren't charging people to audition, which is quite good because yeah. before it was sort of 30, 40, 50 quid for sort yeah. of, and sometimes that is just an in and out 15 minute thing. And then that's, that's the end of that. So, um, but yeah, to go, yeah, for the whole year. I don't, yeah. I don't know. I don't know sort of what the, yeah, what the solution for that is. What, what happened after you left, um, after you left drama school? Uh, came back to London because that's where I'm from. And then got an agent. I was quite lucky to sign with Jonathan Aaron, Jonathan Aaron Management, who was incredible for me, like so supportive. I did like bits. I did some theatre that was kind of cool. Did some like um, little TV shows, little films and stuff. And then I felt within all of that, when I was acting, or I felt my mental health just go mad because I was so aware of failure or not being enough or comparing to every other actor I'd ever met in the world ever. He's doing better. She's working more. This, this, this. And I felt myself lose a lot of passion because of fear. And obviously it's so beautiful with age or 
when you look back and you go, why did I do that? Why did I allow that to affect me? And then I got a, a, a youth theatre job at Young Actors Theatre in Islington, which is this beautiful hub of creativity run by a guy, guy called Andrew Harris, who just puts this safe space for young actors. And I started teaching there and working there. And he said, why don't you put on a show? We've got a slot for a week. So I wrote a play, got loads of actors in and directed this play, then found directing, be like, that's pretty cool. And when the show ended, I didn't feel like all these demons coming in, telling me that I was rubbish or not good enough. So I found myself sitting in directing more and loving that and working with actors and writing stories. But I think that the mental health thing, again, links to the whole drama school thing is that it's such a vulnerable thing being an actor or being in this industry. I wish 12 years ago there was a place where I could go and just feel okay. And if I fail or don't get an audition, that's okay. I wish there was that. And that's why I think like, we, did, we didn't ever have them. We, I think there are, there, are, there are places like that now, but it's like, it feels so scary to be so vulnerable and so waiting on a phone call from an agent or a producer. And then like with every actor I've ever met knows this feeling. It's like, you just sit in numbness for two, three days or whatever it is. Then, you're, then, then sometimes you don't find out or you do find out because of Twitter and it's just like, God, that's, that's tough. So I, I found myself falling into directing more and loving that and feeling so aware of like, the change that I can make and the people I can use in plays and the stories I can tell and the voices I can promote and put out there and use as like a stepping stone to go and build and create. And that was what I kind of found myself doing. And then I set up a company to just do that more and try and, and try and pay artists. Like sometimes we, we weren't able to because we didn't get funding or the show didn't sell or we didn't raise the money we thought we'd raise and all that becomes quite problematic. And then, then, then I think it's like you go back and you look at your career or your journey and you go, oh, I wish I could change that. But then you go, I wish I couldn't change that because that's where I've grown and learned so much. And I, I work at drama schools quite a lot now. And I sometimes tell the actors that are 21 leaving drama school, like lose, lose the pressure, lose the panic, because you could be in this industry for the next 60 years, 70 years. Try and enjoy it as much as you can. And that's what I think I, I, think I wish someone had told me enjoy it i remember doing a play called beautiful thing by jonathan harvey which is the most beautiful play i think i've ever read about two guys in south london falling in love and everyone not being allowed or accepting their love and, I've, and i remember telling that story then being in that show and i was so happy my agent came to see it my friends my partner i was too busy thinking what was going to be next i was i might be doing this this war play about deep cut um barracks and i was thinking about that and that and that i didn't savor or enjoy any of that stuff and then when it ended, I was like, it doesn't matter because I'm doing deep cut now. And it's like, but you've, you've just had the most incredible eight weeks at Battersea Arts Centre with all your friends and family and all these things. And I didn't enjoy it for a second. And, I, and again, like on, on Retrofit, you go, I wish I, I didn't do that. I wish I enjoyed it and savoured it and loved it and, and learned as much as I could from it. But we don't, do we? Or maybe, that, maybe that's just me. Maybe that's about, I think. No, I think, yeah, you're right. Because what I suppose what happens is you are thinking about what's next and you're sort of, you're so aware that, in eight weeks time, it's going to be over. And people yeah. start to ask you as well, going, what's next? What are you doing next? And it's, and if there is something you feel great that you can say, oh, I'm doing this. This is the next thing I'm doing. And if you're not, then that's where the self-doubt self starts to come in. You think, well, I need to quickly find something. And mm. it's, and then years later, you start to think, oh, I did enjoy that, but I wasn't in the moment enjoying it. Yeah, yeah. And I could have learned so much more. And yeah, it's like a really... And also, I think you're so right about going into drama schools and tell, telling people to enjoy it as well, because th you're just not really told that. You're told that you some people will work, some people won't work. 
Yeah. And that's always told, you know, I mean, that's bandied around all, all the time, but no one's ever said, you're never told to actually enjoy it. Or I don't know, or I feel like some drama schools do possibly sort of say that, but it's not like a universal thing. So it's, yeah, it's, it's difficult, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it really is. I went to, I went, I went to kind of do some work at East 15 third years the other day. And the first thing I always say is like, just, just try and savor it and remove all that stuff off because it's going to be okay. Whether you work as an actor and you work at the national and the court and the button you forever, or you you go and teach drama in a secondary school, or you go and work as you run your own production company, or you work as a casting associate, all those things are incredible. Try and just remove all the pressure and like you say, that self-doubt. We speak to so many people like agents or casting directors or like writers or actors at, at my workshops, and they're like, the self-doubt is there for me. And you're like, but you're the biggest playwright in the world or you're this massive casting director, a massive theatre. And they're like, I still have self-doubt, but I, I try and manage it. I try and like take control of it because it doesn't destroy my day and every waking moment. But I think we have to teach that to, to everyone in the industry, but especially third years coming out of drama school, especially now this whole pandemic, because the effect of this now could be the next two, three years. And I, and I think it will be because of like how much people are scared and fearful and taking risks and putting names in shows and not new talent that could be our world for, for, for the foreseeable future. So I think we move the pressure off and try and enjoy it. I remember canceling holidays because my agent might have me an audition for Hollyoaks. So canceling holidays because he might, he might get me in the room. What? That's mad. Or like not going to my friend's wedding because I had to prep for this self-tape for EastEnders on them. What? Am I, what? It's all that stuff. It's like, stop doing that. I think it's so dangerous. I think enjoy the journey. And I, I'm, I'm I have a therapist who is incredible. And I think, men talking about therapy is really important and about mental health and struggles that's unbelievably important so i have a therapist who is incredible and she talks about try and savor it try and savor this now because when that's done a new worry will come along whether it's about money or finance or or friendships or relationships there's more worries to come so try and savor this moment now and just bottle it and, and embrace it but then I, I think i'm better with it now but i, I, I struggle because i'm like i want to do this next i want to get that i want to build up that i want to do this it's like, chill out now. What about now? What about right now in front of you now? What is it? What's going on for you now? I'm with my cat. I'm drinking tea. I'm doing, a, this is beautiful. I feel safe and all these things. And we need to, we need to promote that. And I think mental health now in actors, in this industry now needs as much support as possible. And we need to communicate, especially young men. And I, I, you look at statistics. I was on a calm website the other day. It's scary. And we need to be doing more for young young men, actors that are struggling and getting caught up in this world. We need to help. We need to be there for them. And I think that's, I say young, I'm 36. I consider myself young. I am young, but it's like, we need to do more for those guys coming out. And, and also the girls, but I think, because I've, I've been in those struggles and looked up and seen no one there. And that's not me disrespecting my partners or my, or my family or my mum. It's not that, but it's like, you, you need like other actors to be like, mate, that, that was a, I got that job. The one that we both auditioned for, I got it and it was crap and it was hard. And I didn't get as much from it because of this, 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 and this. Like, let's have those conversations. Yeah. And we don't. And that, I think that's, a, that's, a, that's a, an ever growing problem that we need to fix. I think you're right. I think, especially because the, uh, the specificity of being within the industry and with acting as well, and mm -hmm. that mental health side to it. And you're right about, because yeah, sometimes, it just doesn't, someone gets a job, that's it. You don't know how it went. You don't know what happened. You both auditioned, that was the end. But yeah. it is, yeah, talking about that and being like, 
I did it. It wasn't great. Or I struggled. We struggled. Let's talk. Let's chat. Let, and actually have the conversations as well, I think, yeah, instead yeah. of talking around the issue, like actually kind of focusing in on on what it is and what the problem is. And you're right as well, like looking up and not seeing anyone around to kind of help, I think, um, is, yeah, is is difficult. Yeah. There was there was a post going around a while ago about like male suicide and people just like copy and paste this on your Facebook or your Insta or whatever it is and let people know that you're there. And I, I shared it off a, off a director I know who's, who's been working for 30 years now and I shared his profile, his thing. And I got five or six lads be like, do you want to just, can I just pop into your DMs or like, let's have a chat. And I was like, but you're, you're working. You're, you're, you're in a relationship. You've got a new dog. You're engaged. You're this. And they're like, yeah, but that's, that's the social media. That's yeah. not me. Like I'm struggling and having those conversations with like young men that, that appear to have it all having us be able to like share some ideas or like, Oh, that's cool. Like, how does that make you and all those things? I think that's a massive thing that we're not, we're not doing enough in this industry specifically. And I think we need to open that out. It's weird about like, so when, with the workshops running town now, we have our DMs are always open. So actors like, we get lots of messages on the day being like, Hey, I'm, I'm not going to come in tonight. And I'm like, are you okay? And they're like, to be honest, no, like I can't be in a room with 16 other actors being vulnerable and judging and egos and, and right and wrongs and fate. I can't, I'm, I'm out. I can't do that. And we get that so much. And I think we've set up this space in where that doesn't happen. Whereas if you, if you screw up on a line or you stutter or you stumble or you forget, or we're all here, we're, we're all here backing you hundred percent with there's 16 actors in a circle cheering you on now for you to smash the life out of this scene. And whether there's someone like a casting director in or an agent, they're, they're told that the rule, not the rules, but how I want my space to be run. And it's only love. And it's only about supporting each other. And if you smash it, wow, you've just you've just found so much colour and beauty in that scene that I never thought was there. I'm going next. That's cool. I can raise the bar more or I can I can fall out, whatever happens. But I think we need to have that thing of like communicating how we feel and not being afraid, not being afraid of like I'm struggling. Who, who's up for a coffee and a chat? And it's weird when, when I put that out and I have five or six, not famous, but established artists say to me, mate, I'd love it. I'd, I'm on that. And that's that's incredible because then we're, we're cheering each other on and we're letting each other know that we're all struggling because of this, this or the pandemic or not the pandemic. We're struggling. Let's talk. And I think that's massive in, in this industry now, even before we need to do that more. That's massive for me, especially now. Yeah, I agree. And I think there is definitely that block like on the day as well, I think, of suddenly that being like, wow, all these people are going to be there, all these egos and everything. And I love as well, what I really love is that you said that someone goes in and you think I'm going to, I might raise the bar, but also there's that safety and that vulnerability to, to fail and not, you know what I mean? Do, do go up and do a scene and it's, it's, it, it, it falls, but, but that's okay. That's safe. That's fine. It's not like it's competition time or anything. It's like, it's all kind of really supportive and, not, 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 that I, not that I love Ed Sheeran, but the other day he did this thing and he was talking about um, he's learned most from his failures or his flops or his like bad songs. That's where he's grown the most. So songs that he's written in 20 minutes and bashed down, it's been a number one hit. He, he got nothing from that. His failures, his like setbacks are where he's gone. That's where I need to work on that. And I think he's a global pop star. And when I heard him say that, I was like, he's failing and he loves failure. And I'm someone who's like, I failed again, failed again, fail, fail, fail. 
it just makes me like reassess or like jig around my thoughts or my ideas or my plan of action or my process. Failure is a beautiful thing. And I think the more we embrace it and go, wow, that really hurts. But now what's next is that. And that's that's the thing that, I, that I'm learning now is is fail. But then I, there's a quote, it's like fail, and then fail better, or whatever it is. My mum sends it to me all the time. Fail, fail again, fail better. And it's like, it's true. It's that thing of like, it's okay to fail, especially in a workshop environment. It's okay to mess it up or say the wrong thing or do the wrong. That's okay. Because then we're going to support each other and just push you in that direction or maybe highlight this that you didn't see before. And then you can grow from that. But I think, yeah, I think failure, failure for me, it's like in the last 12 months, especially I've had lots and I feel good for them. I feel better. I feel stronger for them. And that's, that's a cool thing to feel. Do you work the same ways that you work at the workshops and that you work at drama schools? It's like a, a similar approach. Or are there any kind of um, boundaries or problems that you, that could arise at drama schools, like how they work or do you work exactly the same? Um, it's weird. So when I was at RADA a while ago, there was like some things that they do at RADA that I, I, I never knew about before. So then your process shifts within that. But again, I, I think the same as when I was at um, Birmingham recently doing a, a show with those guys. If you communicate to me about your process, whether it's about like not being touched or we check in before or we look, whatever, as long as I know as a director or as a practitioner what your rules are, I'll abide by what your journey is. Because I like... I think Nick Heitner said this years ago about when he did, uh, was it England People Very Nice? The massive shot in the Olivier. It was one of those shows. And he went into the room and he said, just so you all know, I don't know about the world of Ireland in 1950. I don't know it. You guys all do because you're from that time. So I'm, I'm going to step back and I'm going to let you lead this room or, or, or lead the, under, or the growth of this room. And I'll step back because I don't know. And I remember reading that in his book and thinking, what? The, the artist at the National Theatre said that he didn't know but I was like, oh, imagine if like we all just said that we don't, I don't know. So I go into drama schools like RAD or Birmingham or, or wherever and go, I don't, I don't know your process or what works best for you. So I'll let you lead and I'll move and I'll meander and make it work around your, your set of skills. But I think it's just communication. I think because I don't, I don't know. And I love that I don't know because you're going to show me this process that works for you. Like I use Uta Hagen predominantly. I do some Meisner. I do loads of, um, like obviously Stanislavski, but like about like Michael Chekhov's like thoughts and feelings process. I do loads of that. If that doesn't, if that doesn't work for you and your drama school, your set of skills, and you, you just do lab and physical work, I'll do that. I'll jump with that. I'm happy to adapt my set of skills because you've, you as an actor, as a storyteller, have got to be comfortable and you've got to know what, what fits best in your body and where you lead from where you, where that process grows from. So I think I, 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 lo I love that. I don't know. I love that I can let you lead and I can just adapt because I know so many people that are just like, it's my way or the highway. And it's just like, cool, but is that going to serve us? Is it going to serve the story that we're telling the human beings we're putting before other human beings? Does it serve that? And what, are, we, are we serving your ego? Oh, that's, that's crap. I'm not doing that. I don't care about that. So I think that's a big part of the thing. It's like communication. I wish I was as good at communicating in, in my personal life as I was with actors. Do you know what I mean? With actors, yeah. like, let's, let's communicate. I need to know. Whereas in my personal life, I'm just like, oh, communication is really difficult. It's really hard. So that, again, it's just part of my learning. Do you know what I mean? So it's like, but yeah, that's, that's, that's the process. Definitely. That's good. Yeah. And I don't know. It's really, because it shows like a layer of vulnerability as well. Yeah. And from someone that is, so-called the most powerful person in the room to say I don't know really kind of makes everyone go 
wow, even they don't know. And yeah. I can be vulnerable with them because yeah. I, we can all work together. And you're right as well about serving the story, which it is. And sometimes that does get lost. Like who inspires you? Weird. A guy called Toby Morse, who is, uh, he's, he lives in California or LA, something like that. And he's a punk, he's a punk hardcore singer in a band called H2O. Oh yeah. And I followed him for years and he talks about PMA, like positive mental attitude. And he talks about like just treating human beings in a nice way. And he's got a podcast and he's got, he, he sings in this band, all the lyrics about like straight edge and about veganism, about love and about empathy. And I followed him for years. I was like, oh, and like, he's covered in like tattoos everywhere. And he's got the, by the I've, ever, I've met him once at a festival years ago. And he appears to have the most ginormous heart and he leads from love and empathy. That's what that that's what makes me go that I want to do that because I was I was doing shows four or five years ago and my mentality then was that I was the the top dog I knew it all and I was getting drunk and being loud and being mouthy and being a bit of a, a bit of a div and then the more like I shifted my attitude it's not about me it's about us as a, as a collective telling stories and us as human beings being nice and being kind and being loving that's what that's so that inspires me that he's number one I suppose. Check him out. He's a complete champion. I love him. And obviously my mum and my brother. I think all my, my immediate family, because they all set up their own businesses. They're all very successful. They all took massive risks. They all quit their jobs because they were unhappy. And they just went and did what they wanted to do. My mum always said, do what you want to do. Do what makes you happy. And I think that's just the best advice you can get. And then my mates that are mad and beautiful and crazy because they have that thing of like, I've had some of my friends for like 20 years, which is mental in itself because... I've, I've, I've known them longer than I've not known them, which is like uh, 36 is quite weird. I think uh, your, your, vi your vibe attracts your tribe. I think that's a big part of the thing that I've learned recently. So all the people that are in my life, like, and this, this sounds harsh, but like we all find this. If you don't serve me or I don't serve you, then we're not going to hang around together. What's the point? I don't, I don't need loads of Facebook friends or whatever it is. I need a set of pals and a family that make me feel a million pounds. And vice versa, I do the same for you. And then, and then we, we go about, we, we live a happy life and we don't hurt anyone. We don't screw anyone over, whether that's a human being or an animal. We just, we help each other out and we, we just spread a bit more joy. And I don't, I don't think we're getting that right as a, as a, as a community. So I live, I, like, I live in Hackney in London and the amount of like people that knock on my door and go, oh, I've got some spare. My neighbor brought me this like garlic bread that she'd made and passed it through the stairs. And she was like, oh, I've got this for you. And I was like, what? Like, how mad is that? Yeah. We have so much. We just need to we just need to have more love in the world. That, that sounds quite naive, but also it's not. It's the thing that it can happen. I went to go, I went to go and um, do workshops in Africa, like three before the pandemic, like three years ago. And the family I stayed with, they must have told everyone in Africa that this weird guy from London was coming over to do workshops. And people would come in and bring cakes, all, all like plant based stuff because they'd heard that I was this vegan guy, or whatever, and bringing over food and rices and pastas and dishes. And I was like, this is mad. But again, it was just love. It was just so much love that I just thought that's what I that's what I need in London. And we don't have that. So I think all those people, that was a very long answer, all those people that inspire me or make me just go, this is the human being that I want to be, because all those people that I look up to and I, I, I adore just seem to lead with their hearts. They seem to lead with love and empathy and and care. Like the whole, the whole hardcore scene, like I listen to hardcore music, and there's when you have these mosh pit things. If someone falls down, the whole room basically stops and picks that person up. Imagine if we went about life with just that mentality. Whoever falls down, whether it's a homeless person asking for change or a person struggling with their mental health 
or someone's just left drama school, let's just pick the, the instant first thought should be pick them up, help them up straight away. And I don't think it is. You're, you're down. I can climb over you to get to what I want. Or we can help people out. I don't, I don't know. Maybe it's naive. Maybe it's the thing that I'm, I'm, I'm in a, a, like a, a COVID lockdown world where I'm just like, oh, that's all I want. But I think if we, if we had that, it might just be a little bit nicer, a little nicer world to live in maybe. I don't know. I think so. Yeah. And I think that, yeah, picking people up when they fall, when they, when they fall and that being the first thought as well, not sort of several thoughts later of, oh, I should have done that. I should have yeah. helped sort yeah. of helping, helping straight away. But also, yeah, I think within, yeah, within this COVID world kind of actually sort of going there and, and doing that and thoughts changing and, and ways of, of living. I know a little bit about Toby Morse. I know like, I've, I don't think I've ever seen H2O, but I've listened to some of their songs I really like. And then also, um, HR from Bad Brains with yeah. like um, sort of the PMA stuff as well, which uh, yeah. which I re- which I really try and then <laughs> sometimes like feel like I just sort of struggle with it. Um, how did you find how do you find being straight edge and how did you find did you find it difficult at first or um, kind kind of so a lot of my um, so I left drama school but since since starting drinking at 15, 16, in our like part of South East London, that's all, you, you go to the bush, we call it the bush, and we just get smashed, drink cider, be sick, and make bad decisions. And I've done that now for the last, like, 14 years. So I, I stopped drinking about a year, about two years ago, because it made me really unhappy. It made me really unhappy, and it turned me into an idiot, and I was gobby and mouthy, and, like, sometimes my mates tell me things that I did or said, and it makes me want to be sick. It makes me want to be sick, because it's like, that's horrible. And that's not nice. And that person would have gone home and sat with that thing that I said or did. So for me, straight edge is like, I, I, I don't want to do bad. I don't, not bad things. That's the wrong thing. But I don't, I don't want to make people feel crap anymore because of my self, selfless, careless actions. That's why I think I just stopped. So for me, being straight edge or not drinking or doing drugs, any of that stuff just gives me the clearest head ever. And this morning is like my first, today's like my first day off in like months. And I got up at half six still, had a cup of coffee and just went into the garden, chilled with my cat and I felt good. Whereas two years ago, I'd have got smashed, got drunk in town, made some bad decisions, made people feel rubbish. And I think the more you grow, the more you develop and the more you watch your actions and reflect and dissect, you just, you go, that's not cool. And now it's not funny. And I used to always, and this is minging, I used to always be sick because I think, I, I think I'm also allergic to alcohol because literally every time I'd get so drunk, be sick everywhere, ring a mate and be like, oh man, I'm being sick. And he'd be like, I'm going for a walk around Vicky Park. And I'd be like, you're not being sick. And he's like, no, it's like, we had the same, whatever cans of lager. Why, why am I? So for me, it's just, it just opened up my world to be more loving and be more connected to human beings. There was times where my mum would come over the next day and I'd be so hungover. I wouldn't connect. I wouldn't communicate because I was so like, in my head and hungover. I've just wasted a day of my mum because I'm, because I got drunk last night with my mates and like, Obviously, age, I'm very aware of age and like time of my mum is precious. I've wasted that day. I've wasted my mum's time. My bank balance is disgusting. All these things for me just getting smashed. And then I never did drugs because my, I, I had a bet with my mum that I, my mum said, I'll bet you do drugs when you're younger. And she bet me this weird, like a grand or whatever. And then I, every time I got like someone tried to like convince me to do weed or, or coke or whatever, I was like, I've got a bet with my mum. I won't do it. And when I was 21, my mum said, oh, Have you ever done drugs? And I could look her in the face and say, I've never in my life done drugs. And she gave me a grand in cash and things like that. It's mad. So it's like, I think being led by people that are amazing, like my mum or my stepdad or my brother, 
you're going to find yourself in the right avenue to towards happiness, which I think is a big part for me. And then, the, the, yeah, so straight as now, it's like, I don't ever think I'll ever go back. I, I never say never because you never know, but I, I look at my life now and I go, this is pretty sweet and I'm not hung over and I've not redecorated my hole with my vomit. So I feel quite good about that. Do you know what I mean? That, that's quite a big thing for me. So I doubt very much I'll go back, but I just, it's for me, it's about being with human beings and being connected and being honest and open. And I can't do that on booze because I just talk rubbish. That's true as well. Because I think what happens is that there's that time where you feel connected, you feel really present in, in the moment. And then the alcohol just takes, just switch it. And then so you're not. And then the next day you're less connected than you were before. And with people, you see people and you think, oh, I'm, I'm not here. I'm in some other, some other kind of place right now. And it's, it's scary. And there's so many times where I'd be in a bar with mates having a really normal night. And then I'd feel the booze just hit me. And I'd go, I need to cause mayhem now. I need to get thrown out of this bar. I need to do that. I need to go and do, embarrass that person. Or I need to do that. And you just get to a certain time in your life where you're like, what are you, why are you doing this? Is it because you're unhappy? Is it because you just need attention? And I think when you start seeing like that behavior in yourself, it just becomes really boring. So now for me, it's like, oh, I can go out with my mates. There's this, there's 0% Guinness, which I have with my mates. And it's the most beautiful drink in the world. And I don't turn into a div. And it feels like I'm in that kind of, I don't need to have that thing of like, I need to have alcohol or show like I'm having alcohol. But I think it makes it easier on other people. It's weird. the same as the vegan thing. If you, if you say to someone, like, you don't eat animals or you don't drink, the weird responses you get, it's like, I wasn't, I wasn't judging you. I'm just telling you that, that I'm not going to have a chicken sandwich now. And then yeah. they say things, same as the alcohol thing. I'm, I'm, I don't mean to put pressure on you because you, because you drink. If you drink, that's cool. You probably deal with booze a lot better than I did. So you, you can do that. I don't, I'm not putting pressure on that. It's weird when you get that feeling if someone just goes, oh, well, you know, they're going to die anyway. And you're like, okay, we don't need to have this conversation. You're like, just because you feel a bit, I don't, we don't need to have that. So that's, that's an interesting one. Yeah, I was thinking that as well. It's like that conversation isn't, isn't needed. It's just, I'm not saying that I'm better than you or, no, or anything. It's, I'm just saying I'm not doing it. Yeah. And you can if you want. That's, that's sort of entirely, entirely up to you. I like that. How did you come up with the name uh, Lonesome? So is it still Lonesome Schoolboy or just Lonesome now? So Lonesome Schoolboy, the production company is still there, but just okay. not because we're not, I can't, I can't afford to put shows on in a pandemic with 50% or risk or COVID or we can't do it. So Lonesome Schoolboy, come, I used to have uh, autistic kids like 10 years ago. And when we got our first gig at Tristan Bates Theatre in Covent Garden, the guy said, oh, what's your production company called? And we didn't have one. And the autistic kid I worked with, William, who is the most beautiful man, the biggest soul ever I've ever met. He was listening to a Rolling Stones song that they released because they had to release one more song on their label because they were contractually obliged to. And it was like all the swear words, all the vulgarity. And then the first line is something like, I was just a lonesome schoolboy running through the night, something like that. And he said that and I was like, perfect. And I started, the company's called Lonesome Schoolboy Productions. And now it's just lonesome workshops or lonesome company or whatever. And it comes from the idea about when you when you leave stage, when you're about to go on stage or go on to set, you are, it's just you. I know like you do a duologue or whatever, but before you go on to stage, there's that moment of just you and your thoughts and your objectives or whatever you do as an actor, whatever your process is. It's just you. And there's a thing within that, that I find quite beautiful that self-doubt, like we said before, sneaks in or creeps in or the, someone coughing in the audience or any of that stuff. But I think it's just you in that little world. Because it's from that. And it's also like, 
it's just it's just uh, I like I like the, the idea about you just you can only rely on yourself I, I find that a lot at the moment I, I yeah I rely on my mates and my, my although of course I do but I, I'm the one that makes the decisions I get up and I say gym I've not been to gym in a while but I'm the one that decides we go to the gym today or we send more emails we work harder we put more hours in there but it's me I do that and there's the thing that I'm, I'm I, I kind of like not that I don't depend on others because I totally do but some days and again, it seems like I'm being negative. I'm not. It's like when people let you down, which is part of life because everyone has their own journey, you can only really depend on you. Number one is you. And you, because I've got my best interest for myself because I've got to live with this guy for the next 40 years, maybe more. I want that to be the best version of who I can be. And that's me. It's my progress. It's my journey. So I think that's quite important. That's why it comes from that. Yeah, no, that is because I suppose like, and all things like revolve around that, like happiness as well and things as well, don't they? Or if, or sort of being complete, which is you, isn't it? It's you. If you, you can't kind of, you can rely on people to help, but if you're not there yourself, then how can other people kind of, you can't rely on other people to get you there to that sort of destination. And you, you're right. You're on that journey on your own. As, yeah. As yeah. And, and the, the mindset of things beautiful. So I wake up some days and I, I have to convince myself that today is going to be a beautiful day. And I can change that mindset because sometimes you wake up and you just go, this is crap. Like it's the rain and it's cold, it's dark, whatever. I'm, I'm alive today and I'm going to go and work with loads of rough kids in Tottenham and talk about Jane Eyre or Macbeth. That is going to be beautiful. And I can either side on that. And yeah, you can get knockbacks and you can get barged in the street or someone can throw an egg at you or whatever that is. They're external things, but I'm in control of how I feel today. And that goes back to the whole PMA thing. I'm in control. Today will be beautiful. It will be full of achievements and, and greatness and all these things because I decide that to be the case. And I can focus on that and that only. Or I can wake up and say, today's rubbish. It's going to suck. And that's what I think, going back to the booze thing, I would do on booze. Today's crap. I know what I'll do. I'll meet my pals in the pub and I'll get smashed. And I'll, and I'll, and I'll, I'll fight all those feelings away. Whereas now I can't because I don't do that anymore. So it's like, today will be a good day. And these are the things I'll do to make it a good day. Whether it's go for a cup of coffee in my favorite coffee shop in Dalston Lane, or it's ring my mate or speak to my mom on the phone or ring my brother on FaceTime. I'll make today a good day because I can change today. And, I, and that sounds really cheesy, and but that's a process that works for me because I think I can change my mindset moving forward. And bands like Bad Brains and H2O, even bands like Terror, for example, they, they have a very aggressive tone, but they're still thinking about forward mentality and moving forward and trying to be better than you were the day before. Maybe that doesn't happen and you fail, that's okay, but trying. And that's a big part of that, of that journey for me is like keep keep best keep better in yourself and setbacks happen of course they do you've just got to keep going you've got to keep moving forward and i think that's really important yeah yeah no that's true we do we do need to keep moving forward and um yeah this ongoing forward momentum instead of kind of looking backwards or looking into the past and kind of dissecting that it's all about the moving forward yeah yeah definitely cool i think that might be everything i'm really I think that feels like a really great like a really great note to, to end on i think <laughs> cool thanks very much for your time yeah thank you thanks Niall it's been yeah it's been really really nice it's been a really nice chat good and we can we can all just remember we can all just move forward together and we can help each other out I think that's a big a big thing to move forward for like 2022 we can move forward and we can we can pick other people up even if we're struggling we can we can voice that and maybe we can help each other up I think that's a big thing to to start the new year afresh with is don't if you're struggling or you're, you're, if you're you're fighting fears or worries, try and try and voice that out. 
because then your best pal might say, I'm also struggling. And then you can pick each other up together, which is quite important. That's yeah, a nice, a nice way to end on a bit a bit of PMA. It's really important. And I-